Let us take a moment to pray before we think about God's Word. Come, Holy Spirit, and soften our hearts to the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father. Come, Holy Spirit, with power and deep conviction, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this is the week that I really noticed the excitement of Christmas ramping up a bit. Um, I don't know if it was uh, because of the beginning of Advent calendars, as opposed to Advent, that maybe caused that. Certainly, the day, uh, the 1st of December, Hope got up quite a bit earlier because she knew there was something waiting and ever since has been up earlier. There's just that natural excitement that children have. And their excitement is somewhat contrasted with our own. And for some of us, that lack of excitement may be because being around family can be hard. And in a few weeks' time, we anticipate having to spend time with family or friends or others who are painfully quiet. Or when the drinks start flowing and other things are brought up, they get a bit shouty, maybe heartbreakingly shouty. And so for some of us, for those reasons, the excitement of Christmas never comes. And what about God in the mix of that? Has he got a character like those family members or others that we know? The people we might meet on the work night out who you just really don't want to be around? Is God painfully quiet, silent, or heartbreakingly shouty? In this period of waiting, Advent, do you come expecting to hear from God or even fearful of what the Lord might say? Are you coming into Advent with childlike anticipation and excitement or cautious, jaded, maybe a little skeptical? Now, if God seems silent to you, then you're in good company. You're in good company with the people of our passage today. Luke sets the scene for us. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So we have this time of Herod, this time where he reigned from the, the 40s uh, BC um, for about 30, years, 30 odd years or so. And then the Lord sends an angel. And if you trace the, the, the biblical kind of narrative, you'd find out that there's 400 years between the end of the Old Testament with Malachi to this very incident. 400 years where Israel as a nation heard nothing from God. God was silent on a national level and they're left waiting. But that waiting and that experience of silence is also there on a personal level for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. A godly couple, through no fault of their own, unable to have a child. Likely been married for decades, maybe somewhere in their, their teens and now... Well, who knows exactly what age they are, but decades have passed. 
and probably prayed earnestly over all those years for a child. And yet that plea goes unanswered. Apparently for them too, God is silent. And so what about our lives? Are you coming into Advent waiting for God to speak or act? Have you been praying for something? And to all intents and purposes, as far as you can tell, God is maybe just turning a deaf ear. Well, if that's you, you can probably identify with Elizabeth and Zechariah and maybe Israel. But they're, not, they're there not just to identify with, but they're there also to be examples to us. We read earlier too that they were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands. And then is added once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. Words and verses, easy to skip over, but, but what does it show of their example? Well, Zechariah, as a priest, would come into the city two weeks in the year. And he would come in with his division to serve. He would be outside the city um, with his local community, serving as leader and a teacher there. But he would come in with his division and he'd come in to serve in the temple and perform the temple duties. But God's been silent. And so what we see here of Zechariah is a man, an individual to us who, in the silence, is still obedient to God. That amidst the ordinary humdrum activities, he just gets on with it. He does what God's instructed him to do, even though God is silent. And then the example of Elizabeth. She says in in verse 25, if you're following with me, in these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In that day, the, the culture of the time, she would particularly feel that disgrace. And yet, unlike so many other examples we could look at in the Old Testament, she feels no bitterness. She shows no bitterness, apparently. A bitterness that could have turned her cold. A bitterness that could have turned her disobedient to God. She doesn't show any of that, even amidst the silence of God. So what about us? How are we responding to the silence of God? Because there are times when God seems distant. There are times when he's hard to hear and it feels like we've not heard from him in a long time. That silence can generally come about in two ways. There might be others, but two particular ways. The first is because of actions or choices on our part. And that can cover a broad category of actions and choices. We might have just become lazy. We might have become overly busy. And so we don't dig into his word. We don't pray. There can also be, within this field, choices that we make that are wrong, sinful. And because we make those choices, it deafens our hearts, it hardens our hearts to God. And so we feel that God is silent because we're unable to hear him. And if that's you this morning, friends, 
If you know that there's a particular pattern in your life, particular choices that you are making again and again that are wrong, that you know God has said not to pursue, you need to repent. Or if you become lazy or overly busy for God, then again, we need to repent. We need to make space. We need to change our minds so that it changes our actions and responding obedience to him. But there can also be silence that has nothing to do with our choices. A silence that's called the dark night of the soul. And it's a darkness, it's a silence that is initiated by God. And it's ended by God. There was a 16th century Catholic priest called St. John of the Cross, and he, he wrote about this. He, and he described it in, in various ways. And it's a time when, when you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling. It's a time when you read the scriptures and it, it simply is dry and it's simply words on a page. The dark night of the soul is, is when words or books or songs that once spoke to your soul now leave you cold. Now, we might wonder, well, well, why does God do this? Why would he ever do that to me? And St. John writes these words. God's love is not content to leave us in our weakness. And for this reason, he takes us into a dark night. He weans us from all of the pleasures by giving us dry times and inward darkness. No soul will ever grow deep in the spiritual life unless, unless God works passively in that soul by means of the dark night. He does it because he loves you and wants to draw you deeper into fellowship with him. And is that you, friends? Do you feel like God is silent through no fault of your own. You can, we all sin, but you're not, as far as you're aware, aware of pursuing a particular pattern of sin again and again. And you're in the Word, and you're in prayer, and you're coming to church, and you're sharing the sacraments, and, and still, you feel in that place. You feel like God is silent. Well, if that's you, it's not a time to repent. It's a time to hold on. It's a time to keep trusting it's a time to wait in that silence. Because eventually, one way or another, the silence will end. Because God is a God who speaks. We read in our passage, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Your prayer's been heard. And God sends a messenger to confirm this, an angelic messenger, to tell of a human messenger who will be raised up, this prophet, this son, John, promised to Elizabeth and Zechariah. You can almost imagine Zechariah's jaw just hitting the ground. And there might be times in your life when, when you know that God has spoken so clearly, as clear as a bell, that it has floored you with how clear and personal and relevant it has been. And here's the things, friends. God 
is speaking today. And he does speak to you. But are we hearing him? Are we hearing him? As we gather around this table this morning, yes, we remember that Jesus died. And yes, we remember that he will return again. But we also remember why he died. And that is more than simply forgiveness of sins. Because that forgiveness of sins is just the beginning. It's the entranceway into a whole new life, a whole new covenant. That's what Jesus says. The new covenant sealed by his blood. And within that covenant is a new relationship, a new committed relationship from God to you. And within that, whether it be man, woman, or child, we get to relate to God such that we hear from him. Because in the old covenant, it was just the prophets and the kings that heard from God, but no longer. If you're a Christian, if you claim to follow Jesus, then that way of life is open to you as well. To live in a dynamic two-way relationship with Almighty God as your Heavenly Father. This past year, um, Lindsay and I have been leading a group called Huddle. You were all invited to be part of it, and six people came forward. It's a discipleship process that lasts about a year, and within that, we're seeking to, to grow deeper in our faith and know God more and be prepared for wherever God would take us next to serve him. And key to huddle is the question, what has God been saying to you? What is God saying to you? And then what are you going to do about that? And it's been, oh, what a year. We've still got a couple of months to go before this, this round is done. But every single one of those people could tell you again and again what they've been hearing from the Lord. And it's such a privilege to journey with them, to hear this, to see them coming alive with, with faith and passion. Just, this is what God is saying, and this is how he said it, and this is what it's leading to, and such a privilege. But it's not just for those six people. Every one of us is invited into that kind of relationship with God. So what has he been saying to you this year? What is he saying to you this Advent? Because whilst there can be times of silence, let's not assume too quickly that it's the dark night of the soul. After all, the scriptures teach us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. This is God's word to you, ready for you to pick up and engage with and for him to speak to you, has spoken to you. There's so much to take encouragement by and instruction from. And then in Hebrews, we're reminded that God spoke, yes, in the past through the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by Jesus. And what we see of his life, his, his ministry, of his death, all of that recorded for us, foretold for us through the Old Testament, all of it is God, again, speaking to us. Elizabeth and Zechariah, yes, they knew the experience of silence, but they also knew God had spoken. And they knew that the silence now does not nullify 
what God said before. The silence now does not nullify what God has said before. But in our day, we're so tempted to do that. We experience hardship or suffering or or something, or we pursue a path of sin or become lazy and whatever it might be, and we think, I can't hear from God. God's not spoken to me in years. And so we just rubbish God. We walk away from him. We just rubbish all that he has said in his word and through his son. But that's not the example held up for us by Elizabeth and Zechariah. Because theirs for decades is a pattern, a posture of trust and obedience. And yet there's always the temptation to stumble. Because Zechariah, in response to when God does speak, he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. Come on, God. Really? Do you know how the body works? He stumbles. Rather than that posture of trust that he's had for so many years, here comes a posture of questioning, of of half-belief, disbelief, maybe even pride. It's always there, lurking for each of us. And we might wonder, well, will God discipline me like he disciplined Zechariah? Well, what do the Scriptures teach? I don't know of anyone else who's been silenced quite like Zechariah, but the Scriptures do teach that God does discipline us out of love, not out of anger, not out of heart, out of love, to mature us, to draw us deeper, that we might seek him. He won't often force himself on you, but he will keep coming to knock time and time again. So this Advent, may we be a people who wait even in silence, with expectancy to hear from God and when he speaks. And what he has said before, may we be ready for it and obedient to it. So Israel and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they all knew the experience of of silence and of waiting. But so did someone else in our passage. Because this story is much more than just about whether God's silent or speaking. It's more than just whether Zechariah is now joyful at having a son or or Elizabeth is free from the, the disgrace she felt. This is a story principally about God's fulfillment of his promises. Those promises of restoration we looked at last week. Because God has been waiting as well. Waiting for the right time. Waiting for his people to respond And if you think that was easy for God, then you don't know him. The Old Testament portrays the relationship God has with his people in many different ways and pictures. But in the verses of Hosea, we read this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. One of the pictures is of God relating to his nation, his people, as a father to a child. And yet, and yet they rejected him. 
and continue to do so, even in the days of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But God never gave up. His love is that faithful, that unchanging. His purposes are that secure. Because now the time of waiting is over. Now God renews his work amongst his people. And so he says through the angel to Zechariah, and John will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A people prepared for the Lord. God's purposes, as we looked at back in late August, as we were thinking about all age communion, his purposes from the beginning of Scripture right the way through to the end are about having a people of his own. From the beginning of creation, and then in the promises made to Abraham, and reaffirmed through David, and then through the, the prophets time and time again, is this purpose. And again here, at the start of the story, is that purpose reaffirmed. That God seeks a people of his own. And it's why Jesus came. Paul said the same thing to Titus. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to purify for himself a people that are his very own. A people that are his very own. As we gather around this table today, we gather with our children because of this. Because so much of the meaning of Advent and communion is shared. That Jesus died for a people of his own. And so he came into the world and he came to save our children. And together, by, by sharing in the meal, we, we declare our trust in God as we wait for him to return, as we thought about last week. That's our key part of communion. That even in the times of darkness, even in the times of silence, God has spoken. He has spoken by his Son, by his son's body being broken, by his son's blood being shed so that we and our children might belong to him, belong to the company of his people. And I pray that the display of his love and the good news of what God was up to at Advent might not only sustain us in the waiting and silence, but thrill us thrill us with childlike anticipation and excitement. I pray it may be so.